Sign up to The Economist for in-depth curated expert analysis of world events and topics ranging from business and culture to science and technology. You'll get the weekly digital edition, online-only articles, curated newsletters on politics, the markets, science, culture and China, and full access to The Economist Podcast Plus. The Economist is independent journalism for independent thinking. Go to economist.com and get your first month free. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. The woman caught on camera berating another passenger on a Vancouver bus is speaking exclusively to Global News tonight. She says many have been too quick to judge and the video doesn't tell the whole story. John Hua has more on what she says happened and why experts say it may not matter. Yeah, go back to your country. This video immediately branded Stephanie Nickel as a racist. What she says it doesn't show was her sticking up for another passenger. They don't think I know they're talking about you. They're looking right at you. I thought I did the right thing, and as soon as I seen the video, I almost collapsed. Nickel alleges right before the recording was made, the two women she confronted were taunting another passenger over her perfume, telling her to get off the bus. By the looks of how she was, it looked like she was being traumatized and didn't know what to do. The 24-year-old says she tried to get the driver to intervene. I don't give a if you have a right. But when the Asian women allegedly started talking about the other passenger in another language, Nicole admits that's when she lost her composure. Me being racist, yeah, I, I agree. I apologize for saying some words. And I can't go back on it. They can speak any language they want. No, that's yeah, they can. While Randy Keeping says he's sure what he recorded was racism, he admits not knowing what started the fight. I didn't feel like that. Uh, there were two older women and uh, it just didn't feel like that situation. Social media experts say context is important, but might not be enough to change first impressions. There is probably more to this story, which we should give some credence to. Uh, the hard part there is there is only one snippet of video for us to reference, and it is a person being incredibly racist to other individuals. Nickel did report herself to transit police right away. Somebody that was attempting to defend somebody else, so do the right thing. Unfortunately, it was just done in the wrong way. Now the mother of four is speaking out in hopes of stemming the backlash. I feel bullied, really. I mean, I'm scared to walk out my front door now. Another reason transit police say it's better to just report bad behavior. You guys need to stop talking your language. Instead of getting caught up in a conflict while someone else hits record. John Hua, Global News. Now, new details tonight in the murder of a minor hockey coach and OR nurse in Surrey. Paul Bennett gunned down in the driveway of his own home in broad daylight over the weekend. Our Ramina Dea joins us with more on some surveillance video that's circulating that appears to capture part of this brazen shooting. Ramina? Sophie, the video circulating on social media right now is disturbing, but it appears to confirm what witnesses have been telling us for days. You see a silver car pull up to what appears to be Paul Bennett's driveway. A person wearing dark clothing gets out from the passenger side. Moments later, you hear shots that are fired. Then that person gets back into the vehicle and the vehicle speeds away. Now, at this point in the investigation, IHIT is asking the media 
but not to air this video. IHIT says it was released prematurely and it has greatly impacted the investigation. They're trying to find out at this point how that video was released. Now, no one has been arrested. No new information has been released by police. People in this community, Sophie, are just worried. They're concerned. They're saying that it just doesn't make sense. You're talking about a dedicated nurse, a hockey coach, a father, and they're wondering if this was a case of mistaken identity. Now, IHIT has not released any information regarding a potential motive in this case, and Sophie investigators will only say at this time that this shooting is targeted. Back to you. Well, hopefully we'll get some more information from IHIT soon and allay some fears in that neighborhood. Ramina, thank you. We'll stay in Surrey now, where RCMP are looking for suspects in another shooting in that city last night. It happened just before 11.30 at a house in the 7700 block of 184th Street. RCMP responding to several 911 calls about shots fired. When officers arrived, the suspect had already taken off. They found an injured woman who had been assaulted and a man who was suffering from an apparent gunshot wound. The attack is believed to be targeted, both victims known to police. Vancouver police need the public's help finding a man wanted by police in Ontario. Marcel Mark Lawson is in breach of a long-term supervision order. It's believed Lawson is currently in Vancouver. He's First Nations, 5 feet 10 inches tall, 210 pounds, and has a number of tattoos, including one on his right forearm that says Matthew, and on his left forearm of a Canadian flag and koi fish. If you see him, you're asked to call 911 immediately. And Ridge Meadows RCMP are releasing this sketch and asking for your help identifying a suspect in a sex assault. It happened early last Wednesday morning in the area of 210th Street and Dudney Trunk Road. Police say the 21-year-old victim was outside with her dog when the suspect approached, grabbed her around the waist and squeezed her backside. The man then ran off when she screamed. He's described as 19 to 25 years old, 5'11", clean-shaven with a thin build. If you recognize him, call Ridge Meadows RCMP or Crime Stoppers. A controversial plan to build a hydro substation in the West End has been approved. The deal will see the demolition of Lord Roberts' annex, and in exchange, BC Hydro will finance the construction of two new schools, one in the same spot, with the substation under the school property. And while the Vancouver School Board trustees agreed to the deal, Tanya Beja explains why some feel they had no choice. The Vancouver School Board says the deal was too good to pass up. It's selling BC Hydro a parcel of land beneath Lord Roberts' annex to build a substation. The district will maintain rights to the property above ground. We're elected to make hard decisions and this is one of them. In return, the district will get enough cash to build a new school in Coal Harbour and money for the Lord Roberts' annex replacement in the West End. I mean, it seems wise, like substations have to go somewhere, right? And if that's the thing that frees up capital to build the Coal Harbour elementary which is obviously in dire need seems a fair trade-off to me. Tying school construction to a BC Hydro project is an interesting if not concerning precedent at this point. Building schools is a provincial responsibility but the Vancouver School Board says the Ministry of Education wouldn't commit the capital to build classrooms for a growing population downtown. Every trustee said we we're frustrated, we're angry, we're upset that the Ministry of Education has put this in put us in this position to have, have to make this decision. Vancouver still has 
uh, significant uh, parts of its district that uh, are underutilized, um, but they also have a need for seismic projects. That's our priority, and that's, uh, that's our record now as a new government. Kerry Bursick voted against the proposal, arguing it sets a dangerous precedent. What's to stop the provincial government from saying that we need to sell Kingsgate to fund an Olympic Village school? or that we need to sell a property in East Vancouver at what the ministry says is an under-enrolled school in order to build a school somewhere else. Uh, it, it's a very slippery slope. The financial terms of the deal aren't yet public. Students from Lord Roberts Annex will move to the new Coal Harbour School in 2023, so construction of the substation can begin. Tanya Beja, Global News. The City of Vancouver has promised accessible and adequate childcare for all Vancouverites, but you'll have to wait a little longer for most of it. The City announced today it's built and committed 1,064 new childcare spaces over the last four years, 374 of which are currently in operation. The remaining spaces are in various stages of development, with the majority expected to be open by 2021. And I would say City of Vancouver is a great example of how throughout the years that they have maintained a lot of childcare spaces with low cost rental or zero dollar, one dollar rental. Um, there's a lot of initiatives that I've heard from providers locally about how the City of Vancouver has played a significant role. And now the provincial government is on board. We also have some federal funding. I think it's a perfect timing that everybody can work together to create the services that families need. Mm -hmm. A big investment today in affordable housing in this province. The provincial and federal government signing an agreement worth about $1 billion over the next decade. Grace Key explains how the money will be spent and who will benefit. Almost a billion dollars is now being earmarked for affordable housing in B.C. The federal and provincial governments have reached a 10-year deal with both sides putting in half of the money. It's a bilateral agreement under the National Housing Strategy. For too long, the federal government pretended that housing affordability and the problems with, that come with a lack of housing affordability, these problems were problems of municipalities and provinces. We are pleased to see the federal government back at the housing table. Our government has taken important steps over this past year to build more homes that people can afford and to improve the conditions for renters. The funds will support the province's goal to help build 114,000 units of affordable housing and help preserve more than 34,000 existing community housing units. 34,000 uh, families will not have to find themselves on the streets because the federal government is protecting community housing in BC. Come on in, friends. Part of the funds will also be used to meet the specific needs of women and children. It's welcome news for organizations, but there are many details left to explore. You know, there wasn't a lot of detail today, but it sounds like there's a, a lot of opportunity and we're looking forward to exploring what that is and, um, and building some more housing. The province will come up with a three-year plan on how to use the new funding. The money will become available April 1st next year. Grace Key, Global News. A huge development proposed for the Dollarton area of North Vancouver is getting mixed reaction tonight. The project calls for 18 multi-story buildings, including rental housing, office space, and even hotel rooms. Ted Chernecki has more on the proposal and why some residents don't want it. Ted. Well, this massive development will be to the right of that sandbar you see behind me further up the escarpment. The bigger question is, as always is on the North Shore, is what to do with the traffic that will be competing on that very busy Second Narrows Bridge. 
In the mid-afternoon, this is about as light as traffic gets on the Second Narrows Iron Workers Memorial Bridge. There has been no bridge capacity added to the North Shore in 60 years, and it shows. Yes, they are reconfiguring the Mountain Highway Interchange at a cost of $200 million, but critics are skeptical about how much that will really help because much of the congestion happens long before reaching that interchange. It's just getting so crowded and so busy. Um, so to drive even a short distance now takes a lot longer and you're always waiting in traffic. So now when Darwin Properties, in conjunction with the Tsleil-Waututh Nation, are promoting a massive redevelopment of the Maplewood Properties, locals are concerned. 45 acres of mostly green space is slated for redevelopment. 18 buildings in height from 2 to 8 stories. 1,200 condo and townhouse units, along with a high-tech sector and revamped light industrial. Yeah, I think it has an opportunity of planned right to really, uh, you know, to really be uh, you know, a, sm a smart development, an impactful development. To accommodate this, North Van District had to amend its official community plan. The only councillor opposed was Jim Hansen. Just as we're desperate for a transportation plan, what do we have instead? The proposal is 1,200 units of living accommodation, 1.3 million square feet of commercial space, employing 4,500 workers, all of whom have to come and go. This can only make a bad situation worse. The Maplewood Conservation Area itself won't be redeveloped, but naturalists who frequent this protected area are concerned about a dramatic increase in foot traffic. You're, not, you're against it? Uh, yeah, strongly against it. Calls to the District of North Vancouver were not returned. Despite some of these concerns, several councillors and the mayor are in favour of this project. If done right, it'll go back to council in the fall. Chris, Sophie? All right, thanks, Ted. But first, after decades, a decades-long campaign by the Crown to bring two prominent B.C. polygamists to justice, sentences were finally handed down today. Winston Blackmore and James Oler, who have nearly 30 wives between them, some of them teenagers, have both been given house arrests. Aaron MacArthur has the details and the reaction. After a quarter of a century, the legal fight to convict Winston Blackmore is over. The former leader of the polygamous sect in Bountiful has been found guilty. He will spend the next six months under house arrest, followed by 12 more of probation and community service. Generally speaking, I think he's okay with the result. Why? Well, because it's a light at the end of the tunnel. He's had 25 years of government coming after him for something he wasn't sure was a crime. Blackmore has been unrepentant in his belief that his religious views are protected and allow for multiple marriages. His conviction last July, the first time in a hundred years anyone had been found guilty of polygamy. The Crown asking for a fraction of the maximum sentence, defense going so far to ask for an absolute discharge. The judge ruling Blackmore deserved six months under house supervision, his co-accused James Oler getting three. The message that the court has sent clearly through this prosecution and through the reference case that preceded it is that polygamy is unlawful under the laws of Canada. Daphne Bramham is a columnist at the Vancouver Sun. She's been following the case from the beginning. Not at all surprised the decision fell the way it did. It's a travesty. The, this is no punishment at all. I mean, what, what Winston Blackmore has been, has been sentenced to is to go home to his wives and his children and carry on. This might be the end of the legal battle for Winston Blackmore. James Oler still faces an appeal by Crown of his acquittal on the charge of illegally removing his daughter from Canada. Aaron MacArthur, Global News.
Another emotional homecoming at Vancouver International Airport today as another family arrived from Japan with their adopted baby. Ryan and Wiani Hogue were one of five BC families caught up in a bureaucratic nightmare that prevented them from bringing 11-week-old Naomi home to Canada. After weeks of uncertainty, Ottawa finally issued the necessary visas. You know, fortunately, she's, uh, she's beginning her life in Canada, embraced by uh, literally thousands of Canadians from coast to coast that really uh, advocated and uh, asked for the government to do the right thing. Um, so uh, she's, definitely, uh, she's definitely feeling very welcome today. A new report tonight is serving as a reality check about the cost to society of addiction. Opioids have been making headlines, and in many ways rightfully so, but a University of Victoria researcher says they are still nowhere near the biggest problem. Kylie Stanton reports. Raise a glass and drink it down, but this might be a little tough to swallow. New research is putting a huge price tag on substance abuse and Canadians are in for some sobering findings. The big number is $38.4 billion for the country in 2014. It's an average of $1,100 per Canadian. Perhaps surprisingly, it's the legal substances, alcohol and tobacco, that account for more than two-thirds of those costs, killing 10 times more people than illegal drugs. Alcohol led the way across all the drug types as the leading um, contributor to the economic costs of substance use in Canada. It's the first time it's beaten out tobacco in this. And that puts opioids in a distant third. Based on the 2014 numbers researchers are working with, there were roughly 2,300 deaths across the country. But even with the recent crisis, where just more than 4,000 people died last year, the report found alcohol-related deaths pegged at 15,000 far surpassed that. Those working on the front lines say lives can be saved. We shouldn't forget uh, about the risks and the uh, illness that alcohol can cause in our society. And uh, a good number of patients do seek help here and uh, quite uh, happily we're able to uh, uh, help them um, uh, achieve their goals in that regard. The good news, British Columbia has the lowest costs per person in Canada, coming in below the national average at $1,050 a year. Still, health officials say more work needs to be done. We need to have, as a starting point, really frank, honest labeling on, on liquor. It, alcohol is enjoying uh, a bit of a free ride right now. The BC government would not comment today, but this report now provides a baseline to work with and expand on in hopes of shaping policy going forward. What could direct more attention to the legal drugs often taken for granted. Kylie Stanton, Global News, Victoria. Another step forward today for the campaign to save a BC endangered species. We had a really good release today, and the marmots today were exceptionally bold and curious, which is a lot of fun to see. Three Vancouver Island marmots were released on Mount Washington. They had been part of a breeding program at the Calgary and Toronto zoos. Vancouver Island marmots were almost wiped out in the early 2000s, but thanks to programs like this, they are slowly making a comeback. Almost as soon as we got them into the box and opened up the door, they came out and they started exploring their new surroundings. Within minutes, they were beginning to eat, which is just astounding, you know, and incredible to see. These are marmots that have, this is their first taste of wildlife, and, uh, and they're clearly ready to, to fall in love with it.
That was a kiss from a marmot is what it looked like. They move fast. They sure do. <laughs> they sure do. Caterflow is out now at the Massey Tunnel, starting to see some lineups once again for southbound traffic right from the Mylora Golf Course on the approach. Once you get through the tube and onto the Delta side, traffic moves well. Sussex Insurance has auto plan offices inside the Real Canadian Superstores and Walmarts throughout BC. Find your nearest location at sussexinsurance.com, open 9 to 9 every day. I'm Trish Jewison in Global One at the Massey Tunnel. A desperate rescue mission continues in Thailand as divers race to find 12 boys and their soccer coach who've been missing for three days in a huge cave recently flooded by monsoon rains. All of it as frantic parents wait outside. Thailand's Navy SEALs have joined the search for a team of young soccer players who went into this cave with their coach after a weekend match. Monsoon rains fell and swamped the underground tunnel, trapping the boys inside. Authorities say divers are rushing to pump out muddy water that has filled some chambers of the cave to the ceiling. Search teams have found holes at the top of the cave, which means the boys, aged 11 to 16, could be getting some air. Their bikes and backpacks are still waiting for them at the entrance, along with their distraught parents. Mothers begged their sons to come out, shouting, we're waiting for you. Officials are hopeful the boys found a safe space away from the floods in the six-mile-long cave. This relative says the soccer coach is strong and healthy and will lead the kids to safety. As rescue teams searched for a fourth night, parents prayed and performed traditional rituals at the site, using fishing nets as a symbolic way to bring back lost spirits from the cave. Tina Kraus, CBS News. Now, rescuers have apparently found some of the boys' belongings further inside the cave, raising hopes that they may have fled deeper inside to get away from the rushing water. No shortage of emotional reaction tonight to the U.S. Supreme Court's decision to uphold Donald Trump's controversial travel ban. The president and his supporters calling it a victory for the American people. Critics, though, saying it could set a dangerous precedent. The Supreme Court ruling was a tremendous victory for this country and for the Constitution. President Trump tonight claiming vindication. The ruling shows that all of the attacks from the media and the Democrat politicians are wrong. Mr. Trump reveling in a rare judicial win, but on Capitol Hill, Democrats bashing the decision as disappointing. I say, who's going to be next? Is the president going to issue an executive order against Mexicans? Keith Ellison, the first Muslim in Congress, warning the ruling should make all Americans nervous. What they've said is, as long as the president invokes national security, he has carte blanche to do whatever he wants to anybody. Republicans rallying behind the president, who initially dismissed this third version of his ban as watered down and politically correct. I tell you, this is part of the never-Trump resistance to mischaracterize this as being a Muslim ban. This is not a Muslim ban. Mitch McConnell's campaign today trolling political opponents by posting this photo of the Senate Majority Leader with Neil Gorsuch, the conservative justice, picked by President Trump after McConnell blocked President Obama's nominee from getting a vote. Neil Gorsuch was an outstanding appointment. President Trump tonight trying to parlay the court's endorsement into a wider crackdown on illegal immigration. What we're looking for as Republicans, I can tell you, is strong borders, no crime. 
What the Democrats are looking at is open borders, which will bring tremendous crime. That controversial stance igniting a fierce backlash and confrontations. Transportation Secretary Elaine Chao with husband Mitch McConnell challenged by protesters Monday. One of the most successful recording artists in history has received Britain's highest honor. Barry Gibb, the last surviving member of 70s icons, the Bee Gees, was knighted today at Buckingham Palace by Prince Charles. The 71-year-old musician was born on the Isle of Man and spent his early years in Manchester before moving to Australia. His brothers, Morris and Robin, died in 2003 and 2012. The Bee Gees have sold more than 180 million records around the world. Some promising new developments in B.C.'s battle against HIV-AIDS in health matters tonight. 2,000 people have been prescribed a cutting-edge mix of drugs that's up to 99% effective and now available through Pharmacare. The number of new HIV cases in B.C. has dropped to fewer than 200 per year, from approximately 900 in the mid-1990s. By making... Uh, a, a simple antiretroviral therapy treatment available to individuals who are at high risk for acquiring HIV, we can actually protect them, help them protect themselves, actually, uh, from acquiring HIV infection. The polio vaccine is being used to fight a new battle. A new study says when a modified version of the polio vaccine was infused directly into aggressive brain tumors, some patients lived for years longer than usual. Only about 20% of patients were helped, but some are still alive six years later. They've begun testing the vaccine on more patients. You're watching Global News Hour at 6. When you think of a treehouse, you probably think of kids climbing up a ladder or rope. But these days, treehouses for adults are all the rage, and they have a price that matches the level of luxury. It's just a few steps away from our house, but it feels a long ways away. The Sandersons were searching for a place to escape. Then they looked up. We have all these awesome trees, and we decided to get up into them a little bit. The tree houses of today aren't kid stuff. Ours comes with um, a sofa bed and a composting toilet. They're marvels of engineering. Being 30 feet off the ground, going across this bridge, which is a little bit of a, a little bit of a heart raiser. They hired an expert to bring it to life. Dustin Fighter has built dozens of these upscale nests. His passion has deep roots. I was out in the woods like as early as I can remember, building treehouses, building forts. His works inspire an evergreen sense of wonder. So it's really it's like a childhood giddiness almost that, that happens with a lot of clients. The adult treehouse trend is branching out nationwide, featured every week on the show Treehouse Masters. They're even available on Airbnb. Fighter plans to rent out his dream house, a five-ton pine cone suspended in the Santa Cruz Redwoods. When the wind blows, you also kind of sway with it. Sings you to sleep almost. John Marburger found he didn't have room for his relatives on his grounds. The property in the Bay Area is ridiculous, so we decided, hey, why not put a guest house in the trees? It's also a cool getaway for his daughters. We have sleepovers with our friends. We like to stay up late because the parents can't really hear us. <laughs> oh, look at the fog rolling. I, I definitely feel more connected to nature when I'm up in the treehouse. 
Taking the comforts of home to new heights. Well, this puppy isn't just playing, how it's teaching children a valuable lesson right after the forecast. It's super cute, though. Yeah, it sure is. It is. All right. Uh, Kasha Padurka is in for Christy on this beautiful Tuesday evening. Hi, Kasha. Hello. And it has been a beautiful evening, a beautiful day for much of the province. High pressure has been building. We reached a high of 19 right around seasonal. A very different story across the country. I'm going to take you now to Newfoundland video of... A fair amount of snow. A lot of people woke up to this, especially through the interior. A lot of locals were calling this disgusting. It's not completely out of the ordinary, but it's not very common that you see this. Tomorrow, by the way, a daytime high in this general area, 17 degrees. And by your Canada Day, 19 degrees. So back to seasonal by then. Here's your spoiler alert. Right across the country, this is what we are expected, uh, expecting on Canada Day. By the way, through the lower Great Lakes region and Quebec, they have got uh, oppressive heat on the way. 30 to 40 degree um, humid X values, even closer to a 50 degree humid X value in Montreal. So dangerously hot through that area. It's going to be quite nice for a lot of us though. We are watching on radar return still the rain north of Prince George and still a potential for a thunderstorm for Fort St. John as well as Fort Nelson where we have picked up copious amounts of rain. The numbers are in Elk Mountain 101 millimeters of rain. That's most impressive. Other areas closer to the towns we're looking at 20 to 50 millimeters of rain and it does continue though it is easing. So all of our rainfall warnings they have dropped. Our next weather system moves in tomorrow. So parts of the island will start to see a little bit of showers, especially eastern parts of the island, increasing clouds for everybody else. And then Thursday, Friday, Saturday on the unsettled side for many of us. Okay, a quick look at your long range forecast. Sun and clouds, though a 60% chance of precipitation still to the BC Peace River region. 19 for you in Whitehorse and sun and clouds. A beautiful day through this area. Along the north coast, 14 degrees. A chance of showers in the morning. The afternoon, a sun cloud mix. A very nice day here through the caribou and the central interior. 20 degrees. Winds will be easing tomorrow and it's not until Thursday that we have a 40% risk of showers. Columbia and the Kootenai, a very nice forecast as well. 40% risk of showers come Thursday. And the same thing goes for you through the Thompson and the Okanagan region. Very nice on your Wednesday. Sun and clouds just a hair below seasonal for a lot of these places. Wednesday in Whistler Village 18. 20 for you on the island. That's in Victoria. To the north though an increase in clouds. Your long range forecast, you'll note it is unsettled but on your Sunday Canada Day 21 degrees and a sun cloud mix. Your weather window brought to us by Jillian Mayer. Beautiful rainbow, remarkable rainbow found in or caught on camera in Maple Ridge yesterday, guys. And seen from parts beyond as well. Yeah, one. Thanks, absolutely. Jeff. Let's go find the pot of gold. No doubt. Well, we got something good for you now. A puppy paramedic going viral for a skill he learned that's a lot different than fetch. <laughs> There he goes, and a special presentation for children in Madrid. Poncho, the police puppy, appears to perform CPR when his handler pretends to collapse. Poncho jumps on his chest with his front paws, even stopping periodically to check if his handler is breathing. He keeps at it until the officer sits up. Now, Poncho isn't really doing CPR, but he's teaching children the importance of knowing life-saving skills. All right, just before we check in with Squire, dozens of people hit the links in Surrey today, including our Christy Gordon, to raise money for a good cause. One that's very close to her heart and ours as well. The Northview Golf and Country Club 
hosting the Ronald McDonald House Golf Tournament. The money raised helps as many as 2,000 families stay at Ronald McDonald House, BC and Yukon every year while their children are receiving life-saving care nearby. Well, this is the 31st year that we've had the tournament uh, to raise funds for Ronald McDonald House. And uh, so probably uh, uh, over those 31 years would be in the $3 million range. It's uh, an incredible amount that would go towards the, uh, the, the direct support for families. And uh, our new house serves 73 families at a time and uh, about 2,000 families a year. So it's, a, it's an incredibly important day. Oh, I was wondering where, where our shots of Christie. Well... She is hosting Going it and low, getting it's birdies a, and eagles. Yeah, no, she didn't golf today oh, apparently. So we need to get her we, we need to get her golfing next year. She likes to golf, so mm -hmm. we'll see if she's I any good at it. I would love to have seen that. Yeah. I would have showed all five minutes of it. <laughs> see Highlights. how she is? All see right. How she is. We would have done on you know analysts. <laughs> can analyze this way. Maybe that's why she didn't uh, Probably. <laughs> the uh, Canucks got defenseman Derek Pouliot signed today. One year deal, one point one million. Nothing that's going to dent the Canucks overall budget. This is a contract for Pouliot to prove he can be a regular NHLer. Now, he was around all of last year, but he has to earn another contract next year. And to do that, he's going to have to be a little bit more offensive. He did play 71 games for the Canucks, but for a guy whose junior and minor league resumes say offensive defenseman, point producer, he's having trouble doing that in the NHL. That's why the Penguins traded him to the Canucks. He had just three goals for Vancouver, 19 assists. He was a dreadful minus 22. That was the worst amongst Canuck defenses. And it looks like the NHL career of Alex Burroughs might be at an end unless someone wants to sign him as a free agent. The Senators bought out the rest of his contract today. He had one year left, $2.5 million remaining on the old deal. The one he signed right after the Canucks traded him to Ottawa for Jonathan Dahlin. And boy, does that trade look good now for Vancouver. He played 71 games last year, scored only six goals, was also suspended 10 games for Neen, MVP Taylor Hall. Burroughs is now 37, his best years, of course. We're right there when he's with a Canuck, or in a Canuck uniform back in 2011. There you go. The two Martins, Martin Brodeur and Martin St. Louis, both made the Hockey Hall of Fame today. Also going in, women's legend, Jaina Hefford, Russian legend, Alexander Yakashev, overall legend, Willie O'Ree, and for some reason, Gary Bettman. Gary Bettman is in the Hall of Fame in the Builders category. Now, I'm not saying he shouldn't go in, but he's still on the job. Why don't you wait until he retires? Anyway, the induction ceremony is November 12th. It might be the only time Bettman is in front of a microphone and doesn't get booed. Vancouver Whitecaps, home against Colorado on Sunday, looking for a bounce back after that 4-0 loss in Philadelphia last weekend, a game where everything went wrong, including discipline. The Whitecaps right now have a pretty good lead in the MLS when it comes to getting red cards. They have six. Against Philadelphia, they got two. Jose Aja and Jordi Reyna both got tossed out. For Reyna, keeping his cool is something he's not able to do all the time, which leads to this question for Carl Robinson. How do you coach discipline? Everyone will tell you, and everyone does tell me, how I should do it. Uh, what you've got to realize is that there's... There's maybe about 20 different cultures in that locker room. All have been brought up different ways. All have different characteristics. All have different personalities. What I can't change is character. What I can change is them understanding um, by disciplining them at certain times without losing them, losing their edge. But you can't take away what their strength is. And usually in any people, male or female, their strength is also their weakness. 
um, and I think we're finding that with Jordi. So I've got to manage him. I'll deal with him internally, as I said. Um, I don't want it to happen again because he's a key player. You know, we're talking about key players not being on the field, which is which is the disappointing thing. But he needs to learn. He, otherwise, if not, then everyone's going to try and wind him up and get him sent off. Lionel Messi and Argentina needed to win against Nigeria and hope that Iceland didn't beat Croatia. Messi, early, trying to be the hero. Oh, that's in. And it's 1-0 for Argentina. But Nigeria ties it. Victor Moses, very interesting story about this young man. In Nigeria, his two parents were killed in a home invasion. He was outside in the street playing soccer and was unharmed. 1-1 at that point. Argentina needs this. Becomes important. They need... Rojo! Back of the net. That's beautiful. From a defender, no less. And with that, Argentina saves themselves and they get to play in the knockout stage. Nigeria is out. Now, Iceland had a chance. If they could win this game, they could sneak in, possibly taking on Croatia, and Croatia had already made the knockout stage. So it's not like they needed this game, but they weren't gonna roll over either. They get the first one, Milan Badelj. But Gilfie Sigurdsson, penalty kick, Iceland ties. One more is needed for the little nation that could, but they couldn't. In fact, Croatia got the next goal. Ivan Parisic, that's it. They gave it a good go, but Iceland is out. Croatia, we already knew, was moving on. Uh, France and Denmark, 0-0. Peru beat Australia 2-0 in the other games today. There are your matchups from today's games. France and Argentina, that'll be good. June 30th, July 1st, Croatia, Denmark. This Friday, the Lions are in Edmonton, where a good number of the Lions' newest players used to play for the Eskimos, uh, such as defensive end Odell Willis, the guy who can improve the Lions' quarterback hunting skills and also someone who could actually teach a university course in trash-talking. But sometimes his trash-talking isn't always as clear as you would like. This week's, for example, was a bit of a mystery. Very excited. Very excited. I mean, pretty much everybody know, know what it is. We won't smoke. You won't? We won't smoke. What does it mean? you got to ask Odell what that means. Odell makes up his own words. He's got his own dictionary. I'm not sure what he means. You want to explain that? I mean, they know what it is. I mean, if you ask them what it is, they'll tell you. He asked me what something that what Odell said. What it, I couldn't describe to you what that means. I don't know. Um, but Odell always has his own language, and I'm sure uh, I'm sure he'll tell me all about it before the game starts. I uh, hope he's not telling me anything about it during the game. So I mean, if they tell you, they tell you. If they don't, they don't. They just know we won't smoke. There. Did you get it? <laughs> oh, you understand now? Heard it. All right. Okay. I got a pretty good idea. I think we all know what he means. Coming up on ET Canada, we join the stars at the premiere of Ant Man and the Wasp. Plus, how Sean Mendez is causing some waves in the music industry, and did Drake really break his date with Tiffany Haddish? All of that is coming up at seven, right after the news hour. But for now, it's back to you, Chris and Sophie. Thank you very much, Cheryl. Well, she went for quite the ride, probably using up at least one of her nine lives. Lily, the curious tabby, had never been outside before. But when she recently escaped her Steveston home, she hitched a ride and never looked back. Nadia Stewart has more on Lily's big adventure and how she was eventually found. Come here. Girl. 
cute, curious, and easily coaxed with treats. And she's 100% indoor cat. Lily, the 18-month-old rescue cat, is a beloved member of the Abbott family. So that's why when she was missing, um, it was a bit of a, of a headache. A headache striking the family suddenly at around 5 o'clock last Thursday morning. Ruka Abbott's oldest daughter woke up to find the front door open and Lily nowhere to be found. So right away we started looking. We looked all day, put flyers out. A desperate search, mostly in and around their Steveston neighborhood, but there was no sign of the family cat. Then, as hope was fading, at around 7 that evening. We got a call from this gentleman, as we call Lily's guardian angel. His name is Corey, he lives in a neighborhood and apparently Lily was in the bumper of his car. My understanding throughout the whole day while he did errands from Steveston, Vancouver and ended up in Burnaby. And it's there, the driver of the car noticed Lily's champagne colored tail hanging out from underneath the vehicle. You can see just how much of a scaredy cat she is here, wide-eyed and clearly ready for the ride to end. Her guardian angel brought her to the Burnaby SPCA. They coaxed her out, and thanks to the microchip inside her, she was reunited with her owners. Never heard of a cat stay that long in the car, hanging on. Who still can't believe the kind of day she had. I have no words. I don't know how she didn't get hurt, how she didn't fall off. I have no idea how she even survived but they are sure happy she did. It's amazing how special she is to our family. Nadia Stewart, Global News. She looks pretty relaxed about the whole mm -hmm. thing. Now she's contemplating yeah. doing the same thing on an airplane. <laughs> <laughs> she's <laughs> seen the outside yep, world. She has. <laughs> Got a taste of it. Uh, okay, uh, taste of sunshine for anybody out hey, there. Hey, it's guess. beautiful for that. now. Hey, we're going to see a little bit more cloud cover on our Wednesday and then unsettled for the next few days. At this point, models are showing a beautiful day on Sunday for a lot of us for Canada Day. Okay, that's good. Yeah, good We're time. live at on location point. down there <laughs> at this point. That's good to know. Yeah. Thanks, Kasia. That's it for us tonight. Have a good evening, everyone. See ya.